the Bible, God's good book, God's first book, the book of Genesis, cuts through the inflation of human nonsense every time. The book of Genesis is now, you know, almost 4,000 years old. And the story in it about Abraham is definitely 4,000 years old. And from the very moment that Adam and Eve left that garden, we should have the impression that God is going to be using the gals in his great big plan to save the world. And so like Eve, Sarah, Abraham's wife, is the mother of epic proportions in God's plan. If you didn't check out last week, check it out. Two Yules for Sister Sarah. Well, anyhow, Sarah is going to die in Genesis chapter 23. And like her life when she was living, Sarah's funeral is going to involve some tears, some laughs, and lots of hope. That's just Sarah. Anyhow, Genesis chapter 3, the mother of all funerals. Come on in, let's check it out. Because, well, reading the Bible and understanding the Bible is the best thing we can do with ourselves in our life. And, and it truly is a great book if we read it the right way. Now, it can be read in terrible ways, boring ways, all kinds of ways. It can be used for all kinds of uh, evils. But the Bible, as God has given it to us, is meant to lift our spirits and ring the chamois of this life the best that we can possibly do. And it's for everybody, too. It's not just for some. It's for everybody. There is nothing on this planet that is for everybody, but the Bible, like God, is for everybody. So Genesis chapter 23, that's where we are. And we're going to read this section because that's what we do at the Bible channel is just we read the Bible and then we talk about it. And that's what we should all be doing. We need good conversations. We need to, uh, you know, think about the right kind of things. We need to form some mental memories of, of what we should be, well, thinking about. And we got to talk about these things. So we're just trying to get the, uh, the conversation out there, get, make you sound like the smartest person in the room, no matter who you are. If you don't want to give us credit here at the Publical Channel, that's fine with us. We just want more people talking about God and sounding smart about it. And, uh, and you don't have to be a smarty goody two-shoes to do that. Well, hardly. Abraham and Sarah are just salt-of-the-earth kind of people, and most people that I know are too. So anyhow, the text, the text of Genesis 23, kind of funny, but it is sad because Sarah dies. Anyhow, uh, Genesis 23, verse 1. Let me just read this thing. Uh, no, 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 no. Before we read it, let's, let's pray like Jesus taught us how to pray. Father in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sweet prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Anyhow, uh, let's head into God's word and pray that, uh, you know, it starts to make sense and, and uh, lifts our soul like it's supposed to. Anyhow, here's how the text goes. Sarah lived 127 years. That's, that's a long time. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep 
for her. Abraham rose up from before his dead, and he said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. The Hittites answered back to Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, uh, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites and all who went in at the gate of the city, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, <laughs> I give the, uh, the price of the fields. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listens to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights and measurements, according to the mer merchants. So the field of Ephron at Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and the trees that were in the field, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who were at the gates of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Hmm. Praise be to God for his words. All right, so so uh, let's be honest. This sounds like a boring story. Well, and I suppose, to be honest, to our modern ears, you know, we, we think everything is boring. You know, we are a culture that demands to be highly entertained. And, and somehow I had imagined that this story doesn't seem like it fits the bill. But this is an important story that reveals all kinds of good stuff. And it's us who need to change our mindset and, and absorb you know, the, the great messaging that is going on here in this passage of Sarah's funeral. 
and and Sarah's life has now passed. She lived to be 127 years, and we can see that biblically the age of people living are starting to come down into a much more reasonable time that we're you know time frame of life that we're used to. 127 years, still stretching it. And there are some people I think that might live close to that long. I don't know what who, who the oldest person you know that we know is is living. You know, seems like a buck ten something like that. But nonetheless. Sarah and her story um, is worth our attention. And this is a critical moment because Sarah is the mother of God's plan and, and she has died. And so it is uh, a story that is memorializing her and Abraham's job is to memorialize her. Um, and God's job is to memorialize her as well because, well, that's what God does. So Sarah's life, let's just go back to the beginning. Sarah's life from Genesis chapter 12 until Genesis chapter 23 right here has been very clearly set up as that she is the mother of God's plan, that she was going to give birth to a babe in her old age, which certainly made her laugh several times in the storyline. It also frustrated her, um, but now she's had the baby and she's, you know, seen the baby grow up. Um, I, I imagine uh, Isaac you know, might be close to 40 years old now, and, uh, you know, something in that he's in his 30s. But Sarah's life, Sarah's life was, was, was huge um, in the very plan of God, because Abraham and Sarah were called out of their land to go into this land of Canaan, because God had promised Abraham that not only was he going to make his name great, but that Abraham himself was going to be the source of God's blessing for the whole entire world. And God's plan from the beginning that we saw with Eve and Adam and Eve was to use a mother, to use a mother's son, to use the, the storyline of the gals to actually bring about God's great big plan to crush the head of evil once and for all. Well, the text moves quickly into, you know, Abraham's position. His wife is dead, and he is in mourning, which is what we expect to see. Abraham and Sarah were close, and they they set off, off on an epic journey. I, I love it. I, I just married somebody recently, you know, and, and, and we talked a lot about how marriage is, is a journey, a new partnership that is formed, something brand new that uh, comes out of two is now one, and a great marriage is, is what Abraham and Sarah had. Um, Abraham and Sarah, well, let's just say Sarah was his soul sister. She was literally his half-sister, and that might freak us out, but, you know, 4,000 years ago, a little more acceptable, I suppose, but nonetheless, she was his best buddy. These two were, were companions. These two were best friends. These two lived life under this promise of God. And yeah, they were frustrated by it. Yeah, they were kind of bumbling idiots at times. Yeah, they, they made lots of mistakes. But in it all, they grew close to the real God of the universe, the real God who has a real plan to crush the head of evil. And he did so uh, with, he used these this holy couple in his plan. And there is nothing exceptional about this holy couple. This holy couple could be anybody. And that's part of the story. 
Abraham's soul sister and best buddy are people just like us. Most people get married and, and have a marriage. Everybody has a mom and dad, you know, so we're very familiar with marriage. And God has set his eyes on marriage as the key object of his plan here. And so Abe loses his soul sister. Abe lo loses his best buddy. He's in mourning. He is weeping for her. I imagine the song that Fleetwood Mac, you know, put together about Sarah. Did you ever hear that one? Um, Sarah, you're the poet of my heart. I imagine this playing in the background. You know, I know it's 4,000 years ago and, and Stevie Nicks wasn't alive yet. But nonetheless, I hear the, the song Sarah by Fleetwood Mac in the background. Sarah, you are the poet of my heart. Never change, never stop, but now it's gone. It doesn't matter what for, but when you build your house, oh, then call me home. You see, what Abraham and Sarah knew is that God was building a house for all people in this game plan that he started with Abe and Sarah. And so I imagine Abe is thinking about Sarah in terms of being with God and, and uh, he wants to see this plan of God you know, come to fruition as best as it possibly can. I also might hear that, Jeff, uh, that Starship song, Sarah. That's another good one. Sarah. Oh, I digress. Let's not do that. Anyhow, there is a time of mourning going on here, a time of weeping, and Abraham is definitely you know, in that stat status, which we expect. But, but to the world, to the world around, we have to admit, this is just another dead woman. You know, women die, men die. This is just another dead woman. There is nothing you know, noteworthy from a worldly perspective about this woman, Sarah. But to God and to Abraham, well, she is the mother of promise. She is the mother of promise and what a life she got to live. And in her life, she had lots of laughs. That was, you know, actually the name of her son, Isaac, is laughter. And, and many moments that Sarah laughed with God, laughed at God, uh, laughed uh, through tears as well. And there's lots of love in Sarah's life that she lived. This is the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, that's what we all need because the God of the Bible is the God who takes ordinary in, you know, people and he has a, a profound interest in the ordinary and most ordinary of all people. That's what makes the Bible so extraordinary. So if this story seems boring, Let's just remind us uh, of, of one simple fact. We're all boring. That's our problem. Um, we need real excitement. And with the real excitement that we need is really God. And so this story you know, is transformed from the ordinary to the extraordinary because God's got his hands all over this. And that is uh, particularly enlightening for us because that is the way that God wants us to understand our relationship with him is that we are ordinary, but in God and with God, we are extraordinary. The God of ordinary people, that's what's going on. Sarah is the mother of God's promise, and yet she's such an ordinary person, uh, making all the ordinary mistakes that uh, people make. Um, and and God, God made, as we talked in the last talk, God made his two big yules of celebration for the world that we actually still celebrate. Christmas and Easter, these two Yuletide celebrations, well, they start with Sister Sarah. And so she truly is the mother of, of God's promise 
that will manifest itself in this story and take shape in the form of Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection and, and his birth. And we memorialize those, those uh, things, those two big Yules in Christmas and Easter. Well, this is all you know, initiated really, well, you could say with Eve, but with Sarah as well. And when it comes to the gals, do remember that the Bible is often often uh, uh, portrayed as being misogynistic. It is not. That is a terrible reading of the Bible. God's great plan involves the women. So we're going to move, we move from Eve now to Sarah. Sarah, we're going to, we're going to find Rahab takes an unusually large spot. Ruth, uh, Hannah, Tamar, Esther, uh, Bathsheba, uh, Elizabeth, and then finally, of course, the big, you know, gal in the storyline, little Mary. But these are all women that God has set his plan of saving the world on their shoulders. He is participating. He is partnering with the women in his great big story for the world. Anyhow, we got to move forward. We got to move forward and, and let's move into what seems a bit unusual because Abraham rises up from before his dead, and he, he does something strange. He heads straight to the Hittites, straight to the Canaanites, um, and, and he pleads to uh, buy a piece of property. And then this uh, episode of buying this property kind of turns into a comical episode of its life, which, which in some ways is, is a memorial of Sarah's life. Because remember, Sarah always found it to be hilarious um, in a number of different ways that God was going to have her have a baby at an old age, that her and Abraham, you know, that were well past, you know, baby giving ages are, are going to give baby to this world. Well, anyhow, when Abraham rises up before his dead and goes to the Hittites, we got to see something that's going on, and that is Abraham has a laser-like focus on God's promise of this land to his descendants. He hasn't given up. No, no, no. He has a laser-like focus. It's time to buy property, which might seem a little bit odd. And so this story breaks out of Abraham trying to buy this piece of property in Canaan. And the humor behind it is that this is the land that God has promised to Abraham. But clearly, Abraham doesn't own it. The Hittites, the Canaanites, they own it. And God even told Abraham, you're not going to own it for 400 years, which means you're going to be dead and gone by the time this all heads out. And it's very important to see that Abraham is still focused on it. He has not given up on God's plan. And let me tell you, when 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 that baby was born, of all the things that happened, when that baby was born, Abraham knew that God is for real. And we should know that God is for real. When that baby is born, that tells us this God is for real. And he has taken an active interest in people that's just like us. So anyhow, to Abraham though, this land was the future. This land was the future. It was God's future. And he's going to buy some property, even though it's a seller's market, even though it's the kind of market that, that uh, well, actually the Hittites, they don't want to sell. They don't want to sell at all. The reason why they don't want to sell is because foreigners uh, in, in a foreign land typically are not allowed to own land except by some sort of marriage covenant. And so they, they simply don't want to sell to Abraham. Now, keep in mind, too, that they do like Abraham. Abraham's been sojourning, as he properly says, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. But please do me the honor of giving me property among you to burying my dead. 
So, so Abraham pitches, he puts a sales pitch together, I'd like to buy some property. And it's very clear here that this, the Hittites, particularly Ephron of, you know, the son of Zahor, um, he doesn't want to sell. Um, and it's probably largely based on the fact that they really don't want Abraham to own land. They like Abraham. They like him a lot. They even see him as a prince of God. And remember, they also would have been fully aware that, you know, really it was Abraham that saved the day in that battle of kings. And we covered that, you know, previously. So go back and check that episode out. But uh, they like Abraham a lot. They even call him a prince of God. And, and remember, you know, the Hittites are not the Hittites of the future, which means 400 years from now. Remember, God told um, Abraham that the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, all these groups of people, their sins are not yet complete. But we can also see through history and through the biblical lens that not all Hittites are Hittites in the same way. There's still a good batch of Hittites at this stage in the game, and that is why God is not going to allow Abraham to own this property for another 400 years um, because the sins of the Hittites, the Canaanites, and whatnot, they're not complete. And these people are, are let's just call them, they're just good people. They're probably God-fearers. They're probably in with God. They're okay with God. But they still default back to their position. That is, they don't want to sell land to Abraham. Um, they don't mind him being there, but they'd like to keep the ball in their court, so to speak, unless he marries into them or, you know, and Abraham's not going to do that. But he wants to buy this property. So this, this correspondence between Abraham and the Hittites goes back and forth, and, and you heard me reading it saying, hear me, oh my Lord. Everybody says, no, hear me, and then no, hear me, no, hear me, hear me, if you will. You know, it's kind of a comical back and forth. No, 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 hear me. And, and there's this huge bartering session that, that's taken place. And, and really, it's a scene of exaggerated uh, flattery and, and exaggerated humiliation. Abraham's going to lower himself, and, and the Hittites are going to try to elevate Abraham. They're calling him. This is, a, this is kind of a nice scene, but Abraham keeps pushing the envelope so much so that he kind of wears them down. And, and one of my favorite little, little lines in here is that Abraham seems to wear them down. And we know that Abraham's a good barter. Remember when he was bartering with God for just one righteous, you know, if there's just 10 righteous people down there in Sodom, God, will you spare, you know, will you spare the city? You know, but Abraham is a barter by nature and he has got on his mind, he is buying property. And, and when he actually gets the deal, oh, we're going to laugh. Okay, but anyhow, um, Abraham has worn him down. Ephron, you know, finally, he says, he says this. He says, my Lord, listen to me. Um, a piece of land worth 400 shekels. What is that between you and me? See, at this stage in the in negotiations, the, the Hittites and Ephron in particular, they're just trying to give Abraham a burial plot. They're like, hey, just bury your... First of all, bury, um, uh, uh, bury her, um, bury, bury Sarah in any of our tombs. Nobody will hold back. You can pick, take your pick, Abraham. Bury it. No, 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 no. Abraham says no, 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 no. I want to buy. I want to buy this particular cave. I want to buy this particular field. They're like, no, no, no. Well, listen, we'll just give it to you. We'll give you the cave. And Abraham, no, 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 no. no. I really want to pay the price. I want to pay the full price. And and at this point, you know. 
when Ephron says, no, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? Bury your dead. He still wants Abraham to just take the land for free because that gives the Hittites, you know, the upper edge. You know, they can, you know, later claim that maybe there was a breach of promise, you know, and, and, and they just don't want Abraham buying property. And so he throws out, I'm telling you, this is all the money in the world as a price for this piece of land. All the money in the world. And we know that money talks. Everything is eventually for sale. Just depends on what kind of money we're talking about. And and so this scene of exaggeration and flattery start throws it, you know, it's, it's Ephron that throws in this ridiculous price. Um, and, and when he says 400 shekels of silver, he completely expects Abraham to back down. He expects Abraham to be like, oh, no way. And just to put this in perspective, I know 400 shekels of silver means nothing to us. But to put this into perspective, 1,000 years later, David, King David, is going to buy the property for the temple for 25 shekels. 1,000 years later, David's going to buy a piece of property in the same land for 25 shekels that'll hold the, uh, the, the temple. Okay, so you, that's not even, you know, you can, adjusted for inflation doesn't even make sense. Abraham, 1,000 years before, is being told, oh, if you have to buy it, 400 shekels. But that's ridiculous because they don't want him to buy it. They don't want him to buy it. And what does Abraham do? Abraham, as soon as he hears 400 shekels, he knows that the, that, that the uh, Hittites have, or Ephron, has laid out a price. As ridiculous as that price might be, he's laid out a price. And what does Abraham do next? He doesn't even barter. He doesn't negotiate. He pays 400 shekels. Lays down the silver, baby. And, and, and he abides by, so this scene is all about legalities as well. And so Abraham is abiding by the cultural legalities, you know, and so a little bit of this language that's a little bit awkward for us um, is all about the legalities about how property has to change hands in a legal fashion. And so Abraham, once he hears that ridiculous price, he doesn't bat an eye and he lays out 400 shekels of silver, which is all the money in the world. And, and I think Ephron is just, he can't believe it. He can't believe it. And I'm sure they are laughing all the way to the bank that Abraham was a laughing stock at this moment. Abraham just paid stupid money for land that God says is his anyhow. So there's this ironic twist to it all. But our question is, who is going to laugh last? From Abraham's point of view, he has a laser-like focus on God's promise. He sees the future in this land, and he sees the future and memorializing his wife in this land. This is also a tomb that he's going to be in, too. And so just because he paid stupid money doesn't mean he's going to it doesn't mean he's going to be laughed at for long because Abraham's Abraham's descendants will own this land. And they will have a memorial to Abraham and Sarah, the patriarchs of the story. Well, anyhow, Abe is, is all in for Sarah. 
And, you know, at one level, there is no money in the world that uh, 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 he won't pay to, to get his wife a proper burial place in this land. The mother of God's plan, uh, God's plan to bless the world is worth every penny. Uh, money is no object for Abe. That's pretty cool to see. But we will see that the children of Abraham get the last laugh whenever, well, Israel does take over this land 400 years from then. You know, and I think the big question is, why not just take the freebie? And 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 I'm, I'm reminded of that conversation that Abraham said, uh, had with the king of Sodom before his demise, who, remember, the king of Sodom, when he came out to talk with Abraham, you know, tried to take credit for some of the victory and tried to take over. And, and Abraham said, I wouldn't take a sandal strap from you because you'll turn around and say that, uh, you know, I owe you. And I think there's some of that going on right now with Abraham, too. He doesn't want to take the free gift because that will put some sort of... Um, well, blackmail or some sort of ability for the, the Hittites to later renege on this land. But Abraham buys this land fair and square for stupid money, mind you. But that's all part of the humor going on is that Abraham has something far bigger in his mind. And that is God's kingdom, God's plan, God's plan to save the world, the mother of all plans to save the world that, that he started with Abraham and Sarah Abraham is laser-like focused in that plan, and that's good for us to see. And that's really all that's going on in this, this passage. But there's some other things that we should probably take note of before we move on and dismiss this passage as, as seeming like a boring old story. First and foremost, there is a great marriage in this story, and that is Abraham and Sarah. And great marriages form the biblical backbone of God's plan to redeem the world, to save the world. Center stage of God's great big epic plan is a marriage. God's gospel in of itself is a marriage between people and God. And at center stage here is a marriage. And, and marriage is so important to God. The, the Bible uh, holds up marriage like no other book, no other religious document, because God himself is the author of marriage. Marriage is God's idea. And, and marriages are going to truly be the center stage for God's plan to save the world. Even today, your little marriage, my little marriage, your mom and dad's little marriage, they are the center stage for God's plan to save the world. God is going to save this world uh, with good godly people and good godly marriages. The other thing that we need to see is just simple faith. Faith is all over this story. For all intents and purposes, Abraham seems to have every right at this point in the story to just give up, heads down. Um, you know, that God's promise of, of a great name and a nation and land and a blessing for all peoples hardly seems to be working out, you know? I mean, nothing really seems to be coming together except Isaac, the the, the son, and, and that seems to be enough for Abraham. Um, he really does seem to, you know, be 100% focused on God's plan. And the only thing he really got to see was was a son born to, to Sarah named Isaac. And um, Abraham just really seems to dig in here because of one thing and one thing only and that is God sees or Abraham sees the future in God's promise. Abraham sees the future in God's promise 
even if he sees nothing else, he's a man in full. If, if, if the only thing that Abraham got to see was, you know, the moments that he had with God and, and this son that God brought about miraculously, then Abraham is going to die a man in full. Abraham is 100% sold out on the very promises of God. Even though he's not going to see or realize them, he is 100% sold out. He is a man in full. And I think we all could take lessons from that. You know, we all should feel like we are men in full, women in full, that we have lived a good life and we have lots to be thankful for. Well, anyhow, the other thing that I think we can see here is, is that, um, well, at first glance, it doesn't seem like God is even at this funeral because God is hardly mentioned in it. But that would be a huge mistake if we didn't see God in this funeral. God is in this funeral because Abe's story is our story. Um, and when Abraham buys a plot for his wife, Abraham buys the plot for his wife, you know, without having fully received the promises of God. And when, when we when we buy our tombs, when we buy our grave sites, when we make our plans for the crematorium or whatever our plans are for our funeral, when we make those funeral plans, we are no different than Abraham. And that is we are looking to the promises of God. We're looking past our death and we are looking to the promises of God to be realized in full at a later time. And so God is all over this funeral. It is completely theological because Abraham is, is, is still a man of faith as he buys this burial plot for Sarah, just like we are. Well, anyhow, then um, I think we too have to notice that from Jesus' disciples' point of view, they always look back to Abraham as a paradigm for all of our lives because Abraham in the book of Hebrews tells us that, you know, Abraham lived in tents. He was a sojourner in a land. He was a foreigner in the land. He was a stranger. Um, and he was he was essentially a nomad. He had nothing in this world, no investments in this world. And he expected to have his permanent home with God in the future. And so we're all aliens and strangers in this place. And that's the way Jesus' disciples, you know, look back fondly on Abraham and Sarah um, that we all live in tents and we're all looking forward to our permanent home. Kind of reminds me of a Waylon Jennings song that we're all friends and strangers wondering which way to go, leaning on yo-yos and bozos and bimbos and heroes. Um, we all have a certain stranger uh, sense or foreigner sense in this world. Um, and Abraham shows us the way to live Live it out like that because your permanent place is yet to come in the promises of God, which is the key point of this text. Abraham is going to set up a remembrance for Sarah. He's going to set up a proper cave so that not only he can remember her by, but the future, his future descendants can remember her by. When his future descendants come back into this property and as their own, they are going to, to have this, this place of remembrance, the, the tomb of Abraham and Sarah. And we're going to see that that is true, that when Israel takes over this land, you know, it becomes a thing that, you know, um, that these places are set up as remembrance. And that is really the key to, to biblical activity for all of our lives, is to set up good mental memory. 
What makes us different as a race? And when I talk about us as a race, I'm talking about the human race, the atoms, is that we have the ability to imagine reality. And it's very important to us. And it's very important from the biblical point of view that we imagine the right reality. And so the Bible, God, cuts through the inflation of human nonsense um, by building mental memory for us. And it's very important for us to build mental memory. Mental memory is the key to, to wringing out the chamois of life successfully. Funerals are a great time of refreshing our mental memories and establishing memorials of our mental memories. And so every funeral is important and every funeral is important to God because remembering life, remembering our loved ones, remembering the promises of God is the absolute essence of a successful life. And so even when we think about the Lord's Supper, and if you've ever been to church and partaken in the Lord's Supper, there is a key phrase in the Lord's Supper, and that is, remember me. When we think about Jesus, we think about his death and his resurrection. We think about his life and his death and his resurrection. But we think about his death, and Jesus says, remember me. When you take this bread, remember that my body was broken for you. When you drink of this wine, remember that my blood was shed for you. Remembering death, remembering the right things about death is absolutely essential um, to our proper, you know, mental memory when it comes to living a successful life as human beings. Um, not only should we remember our own loved ones and memorialize them in funeral services like Abraham is memorializing Sarah, but we should also we should also have this habit of remembering the most important death of all, and that is the death of Jesus Christ, who brings us forgiveness, who you know sacrificed himself to bring forgiveness to everybody. And so we remember him. And that's the key activity at the Lord's Supper is remembering the death of Jesus and his resurrection, of course. And then that brings us also to funerals in general. I've never been to a funeral where God is not welcome. That's what I like about funerals because funerals have a way of getting us serious. Funerals have a way of, of, of cutting through the human nonsense that we live in day in and day out. I've never been to a funeral where God is not welcome and, and uh, it doesn't take long for us to realize that life is short and we're just simply not going to accomplish everything that we want to accomplish. There's just simply not enough time to get it all done. I've got so many things that I will never get to, you know, because there's just not enough time. Abraham sees the promises of God to make his name great, to give him, to make him into a nation, to give him this land, all of this, none of it's coming to fruition in his own lifetime, but it is the absolute fabric of his existence to remember that there's a much bigger picture at play here. And, and establishing our mental memory, you know, based on God's promises is part of the, you know, part of the uh, illumination of this story. Do what Abraham does. Look forward at a funeral to the very promises of God. The tension here 4,000 years ago is that so much seems to be undone, but Abraham is a man in full. He is satisfied with God. The world needs saved. You know, there doesn't seem to be enough time, but yet 
This passage here reminds us to, to slow down, take a cue from Abe, trust that God is working all things out. He, God is very trustworthy. It may not seem like everything's getting done the way you want it to get done, but God is in control. And take stock in that. Have faith in that. Build your trust. Build your love for God on the fact that God can work everything out. And he always works everything out, even what we seem to be. Well, even what we look at and don't think that God worked out, God is working it out. And Abraham knew that. And he provides to us the paradigm of, of having that kind of existence, that despite all of the things that seem to be undone, God's going to get it done. God has time for every single funeral because time itself is God's. Take a break, relax, take a chill pill, and, and, and build your mental memory correctly to get through this life. Yeah, Abraham is, is sad because he doesn't want to lose his, his wife, his partner in this, in this great you know, life that he's had with her. But he's also known as the prince of God to the Hittites. So Abraham knows that, that his successful marriage to Sarah has also made an impression on the Hittites around him. Um, and we ought to take stock in that too. Despite all of the things that seem to be undone, when we live a godly marriage, you know, we actually make an impact. And, 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 and we are making an impact. And we will make an impact. We just need to stay the course like Abraham does. We need to build our mental memory like Abraham and Sarah do and, and trust in God fully. All right, well, that's what we got for Genesis chapter 23. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll catch you next time.